on Sydney's 2GB. This is Drive with Chris O'Keefe. Good afternoon, Sydney. I hope the week has been treating you well and you, like every other wage earner in this country, I hope you haven't been too stressed when you're doing the sums on how much worse you will be off under the Albanese tax backflip. We've all been looking at the calculations, all the tables that have been in the newspapers and so forth, and the truth of the matter is so many Australians will be worse off as a result of Albo's backflip. Look, it's a breach of trust, isn't it? It's a breach of trust from a bloke who promised to put integrity at the heart of his government. But I think what it does too is further bake in some sort of apathy in the labour market. Workers will feel apathetic because... We were told that earning more somehow makes you wealthy. And now all we know that it simply just guarantees that you're going to pay more tax. I'll have my say on this in a moment. Now, did you also know this? This has kind of been snuck through a little. The Minns government will soon ban having a caravan in your backyard. Yep, You won't be able to have a caravan in your backyard anymore. It will be illegal. I don't understand this. The Planning Minister, Paul Scully, will join me soon to explain it all. Overcast day, but it's still pretty warm, isn't it? Right now, 29 degrees in Marrickville and 32 in Londonderry. It's eight and a half past three. One three one eight seven three is our open line number. Zero four six zero eight seven three eight seven three. If you want to send me a text, or of course email drive at two gb dot com. Now, since I broke the story of Anthony Albanese breaking his promise on stage three tax cuts, you heard it here first Monday afternoon. But I've been reflecting on where we are as Australians and where we are in terms of our tax system in this country, and I am now convinced that there is a major disconnect between income and wealth. Now, this is what I mean by this. Just because you're a good income, you earn a good income as a worker, that doesn't necessarily make you wealthy. And conversely, you can be wealthy without earning a big salary either. And what the Labor Party cannot seem to grasp is that big incomes do not equal wealth. All it equals is lots and lots of income tax. Now, there is almost no reason, as it stands today, to work, 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 improve your salary in the PAYG tax system, the pay-as-you-go tax system that we all have, most of us, are a part of. And there's no reason to do it because bracket creep and the income tax punishes every single person who aspires to do better. Listen to this. Australians who earn more than $120,000 a year make up just 12% of all taxpayers in this country. Australians who earn more than $120,000 a year make up just 12% of all taxpayers in this country, yet those Australians pay 55% of all income tax. And at the top end, it's even worse than that. So 4.1% of all taxpayers in Australia earn more than $180,000 a year, yet they pay 35% of the country's income tax. You've got 4% of taxpayers paying a third of the country's income tax. And people who are contributing these obscene volumes of their own money, of their income, to pay for government services to keep Australia operating, well, those people are declared by Albo and Jim Chalmers and federal Labor as being wealthy. And he will give some of their promised tax cut 
a tax cut that they voted for to people who earn less money than them. Now, this is a classic redistribution of income. And I say it's a redistribution of income because it is not wealth that is being redistributed. It is the money that they are working every single day to earn that's being taken from them and given to people who earn less. And I'm not talking about CEOs and high flyers here. You know who else, Albo and Jim Chalmers, who have just made a lot worse off? One-income households. Picture this. Dad or mum is an accountant on $190,000 a year. The other one, mum or dad, stays home and looks after the kids. Now, would you say they're wealthy? No, of course they're not. But under Albo's changes to the tax cuts, they're deemed wealthy. And I think that this fundamental misunderstanding of middle Australia means that the breadwinner of the one-income household is going to get thousands and thousands of dollars less than what they were banking on. Four grand, in most instances, will come out of what they were banking on. But according to Albo and Chalmers, don't worry about it because those people are rich. They're wealthy. They can afford it. Well, I know of stories where public servants earning 150 grand, struggling under the weight of the interest rate rises and electricity bills and grocery costs and school fees and childcare fees, a public servant earning 150 grand goes and asks for a pay rise from their boss and their boss turns around and said, look, I'm not going to give you the pay rise, but don't worry about it. There's a big tax cut coming your way July 1, so you're going to be okay. Well, that is no longer happening as a result of Anthony Albanese's broken promise. And I know of people who are taking their kids out of schools because they were expecting to have more money to pay for the school fees this year. That money will not be there. There are These are all people who are largely not entitled to any government rebates either, and this is the thing that gets under my skin. There are no cost of living rebates or government rebates for people who earn too much money. And the programs are means tested, and that means they're not el- eligible. Family tax benefit A, family tax benefit B, the low income tax offset, seniors and pensioners tax offset, the full childcare subsidy, power bill relief, back to school vouchers, active kids, sports vouchers, discounted public transport, low income household rebate, lured to swim vouchers, council rates rebate, stamp duty concessions. None of that applies to the people that Albo and Chalmers have just dudded. Plus, on top of all of those means-tested handouts from the state and federal governments, Stage 1 and 2 of the Morrison-Frydenberg tax cuts have already delivered thousands and thousands of dollars in tax cuts a year for people earning up to $120,000. So you tell me. Is the Albanese Stage 3 broken promise disincentivising people from improving their salary under the pay-as-you-go system, the PAYG tax system? I think it is. I think people are disincentivised from earning too much money because you're better off pouring money into superannuation or buying investment properties and offsetting the losses through negative gearing than you are just being an honest Joe earning a salary and paying bog-standard income tax. Because otherwise, if you just do the latter, the Labor Party will just redistribute redistribute your hard-earned money and hand it to people on lower incomes who are already getting a long laundry list of rebates and handouts from government. Now, this decision by Anthony Albanese and Jim Chalmers is shocking. 
And here's the rub. As Australians see their standard of living getting increasingly worse and the government sees its polls getting increasingly dire, the Prime Minister has clearly panicked here. And he has decided to embark on a significant class warfare style income redistribution agenda. And again, income does not equal wealth. And the system does not reward people who are trying to convert that income into wealth. I'm talking about wealth like investment properties. Those investment properties are instead given a tax break rather than people who earn a wage paying more tax on it. So people trying to reach a level of worth, a wealth are punished before they can even try to achieve it. Now, we must agree as a nation that this is plainly not working. Because otherwise, you can't sit there and then blame people for then getting accountants in on the game to design schemes that build wealth for them and their families. Because if you play by the rules that the Albanese government and many, many other governments for many, many years have set up, if you play by those rules, you are going to get stiffed. It is simple as that. Just to remind you, Monday, July 26, 2021. I pulled out the press release. Monday, July 26, 2021. Opposition leader Anthony Albanese, shadow treasurer Jim Chalmers. They issued an official statement. And this is what it said in this official statement. July 26, 2021. Quote, An Albanese Labor government will deliver the same legislated tax relief to more than 9 million Australians as the Morrison government. But now, fast forward to 2024, the same Albanese Labor government has dumped this, backflipped, simply because he wants to make a ruthless political calculation. Now, at its core, this is a broken promise. And it is the kind of financial us-versus-them policy that Australians voted specifically against in the 2019 election. Australians thought the ALP moved past this as a result of Jim Chalmers and Albanese saying, an Albanese Labor government will deliver the same legislated tax relief to more than 9 million Australians as the Morrison government. We thought, as voters, this was a moot point. Both parties were on the same page when it came to tax cuts, so it wasn't a political issue. But it is now, because they've broken their promise. This is a decision the Prime Minister does not have a mandate to make. And it's one that he should let the taxpayers decide on, not his cabinet, not his caucus, and certainly not the polling of a Dunkley by-election. 18 past three. And I've got a bit of information on where the stage three tax cut restructure, Albo's broken promise in his new plan, it could get even worse because he needs the Greens to get this through the Senate. And the Greens, well, their public policy, their public position on the stage three tax cuts is abolishing it altogether. So... If the Greens decide to run Albo right to the wire so it can pass the Senate, it may well be watered down even further at the top end. 131873, and I think Caroline makes a really good point here. Chris, I'm a high-income earner over $200,000. Single-income household. Husband is stay-at-home dad. And I'm a contingent worker, so a percentage of my taxable income must be saved for any leave because if I don't work, I don't get paid. I rent because I can't afford to buy and I have no significant assets I can claim tax on. I paid more than 85000 in tax last year. 
I got hit with a bill of four grand because uh, I went over the threshold for super contributions on mandatory employer contributions alone. We are not, not eligible for any assistance at, at all. You earn more, you pay more. There should be a flat rate of tax we all pay to make it equitable. Caroline, thank you for your text. Here's another one, PJ. Chris, I'm one of the many who earn $200,000. I'm a single income family of four with the wife looking after the kids. I'm a small business owner employing eight staff. I have a mortgage and a business loan, and we are counting every cent every day. I was looking forward to the next round of cuts. It would have given us a little bit of breathing room, and I'm actually looking at getting a second job now. But that's not ideal, given I'm working six days a week from 7am to 5pm. I cannot trust Anthony Lies Easy anymore. Another promise broken. Shane's at Wattle Grove. Shane, g'day. How are you, mate? Good, thank you. Uh, yes, yeah, so just recently I received a, uh, a tax notification of a new super contribution tax, which is a bit of a sneaky thing. It's called Division 293. Yeah. And I've worked over shift work for over 35 years. Um, my wife hasn't worked for over 20 years because we raised three daughters. And so, you know, my hard work and good earnings is now getting thumped at both ends because I'm going to lose an expected 9K tax break. And I've just got a 4K bill. So thanks, Albo. Good on you, Shane. I appreciate your call. Michael's at Cogra. Michael, good day. Hello. What's your Chris. view? Mate, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm on 210000 a year away in construction. And, um, mate, between fuel, tolls, mortgage, groceries, mate, I'm not, I'm not well off. And, I mean, this, this is just ridiculous now. Do you feel wealthy? Because on $210,000 a year, Michael, uh, the Prime Minister thinks you're wealthy, the Treasurer thinks you're wealthy, and I'm sure that there's many people in the community do too. Mate, I live week to week. I, I struggle. I live week to week, mate. And I, you know, I, I can't afford rent. I mortgage because my, I have a mortgage. I'm lucky enough to have a mortgage um, and because it's less than what, my, what rent would be. Yeah. If I to rent, mate, I, I, I don't know how I'd live. Michael, do you get any rebates or any means-tested uh, funds from the government? No, I don't. No, nothing. Nothing at all. Michael, I appreciate no. your call. Keep going. One three one eight seven three. Jim's at Darling Point. Jim, g'day. Yeah, g'day, mate. I'm actually at Matchable at the moment doing a bit of work. But, Good on you, Jim. You know, I'm retired, so a lot of these things don't really affect me. But I do feel that I would like a government, whoever it is, to make decisions that's in the best interest of Australia, not what's in the best interest of them getting re-elected. Mm. And unfortunately, that's what Albo's doing. I just can't understand. I mean, you look back last year, they took the $1,100 a year rebate, you know, off the, the poor, right? And I thought, Labor governments, they're supposed to be looking after the poor. So now they're going to give the 1100 back again out of somebody else's pocket. You know, it's, it's just not right. No, it's not, Jim. And there's many people who agree with you. I appreciate your call. Steve's at Beacon Hill. Steve, g'day. Hey, Chris. Um, yeah, look, this, what gets me is this is stage three. Um, what they're not talking about is stage one and two. The lower thresholds already got their tax cut. That's, what I'm, that's the point that I just made. Thousands and thousands of dollars a year over uh, since the Morrison-Frydenberg government uh, legislated them just after the 2019 election. Stage one and two have been in play, but stage three comes for anyone who earns over 180 grand. Well, tough. Yeah, I just don't get it. It just yeah, blows my mind. But 
what can you do? He's just, he's just, Albo's just a liar. He's continually lying, breaking all his promises, and no one's holding him to account apart from, you know, you, Paul Murray, and yeah, mm-hmm. all the all the good journalists. We're doing our best, Steve. I appreciate your call. Thank you for the vote of confidence. Now, just on Albo breaking his promise, how many times do you reckon Anthony Albanese promised to keep the stage three tax cuts? When he was in opposition and during the election campaign and then even in his first two years of this term of government, I think it's in excess of 100. Now, this mashup was put together by the Sydney Morning Herald today. Just have a listen. We haven't changed our position on the stage three tax cuts. At all. We haven't changed our position. I can confirm that we haven't changed our position. We haven't changed our position. Well, I'll make a few points. The first is that the government's position hasn't changed. They legislated uh, we haven't changed our position. Tax cuts will happen in July and uh, we're... The same as what we're committed to? We're committed to that. Well, we haven't changed our position. We haven't changed our position. Jeez, he's tricky, isn't he? the Prime Minister of this country, we haven't changed our position. He was always changing it. And look, the compilation goes for another minute and a half. I won't bore you with it. We get the point. I haven't changed our position. We haven't changed our position. Now, there's that's a little bit of a snapshot of the endless times that Albo promised to keep the Stage 3 tax cuts. But today, everything's changed. This was the Prime Minister this morning in the Prime Minister's courtyard doing a press conference. He wouldn't confirm the details, but this is what he said. My job isn't to say, oh, I'll just wring my hands about cost of living pressure that people are feeling. My job is to respond, to seek advice and then to make a difference, to make the right decision, not the easy decision. I'll be taking a proposal on economic policy to the party room this afternoon. This proposal will be all about supporting middle Australia. We know that there are cost of living pressures on middle Australia and we're determined to follow the Treasury advice to provide assistance to them. Let's follow the Treasury advice just like we followed the health advice, Prime Minister, during the pandemic. Gee whiz, drop off that. One three one eight seven three. Just on the text line, Greg says, Chris, I'm a teacher, my wife's a nurse. We earned a combined income, which means... We will be worse off, and we are certainly not wealthy. Greg, I appreciate your text. Emma, Chris, you are to the point with what you just said, and just add to us losing almost 50% of our earnings, our earnings being from the pay-as-you-go from the company that we own or that seems to own us, pays our wages. People that don't own a business do not have to be on call seven days a week, 24 hours a day, and they can also not take holidays without disruptions, which we cannot it's really unfair for us who are striving to do better in life. Steve's in Penrith. Steve, good day. Good afternoon, Chris. Uh, thank you for your time. Great conversation. And again, I'll say this to you. Another living example of the 11th commandment in this country. Thou shall not be too excellent. <laughs> Thanks, mate. And the, the, more, the, the harder you work in this country, the, the, less, the less incentive there is. It's true. And it's been like that. Absolutely, and this is you know this is a double edge from old Albo. His non-commitment to Australia Day is a disgrace, and it's another example of him saying, "Well, I'll look after everybody besides the people who want to be um, uh, incentive to to get better." And I made the our, point. I made the point that I think that the the tax system as it stands right now disincentivizes people to improve their salaries 
uh, with their employer. It's as simple as that. And secondly, I think it almost could bake in and an apathy within the labour market, within the workforce, because they think to themselves, well, what's the point of earning 200 grand or 250 grand if 45 cents in the dollar is just going to go straight to the Albanese coffers? Exactly, Chris. Love your show. Thanks, mate. Good on you, Steve. Well said. One three one eight seven three. Rhiannon Solomon Marin, good day. Good day, Chris. Former television personality Andrew O'Keefe has avoided jail time after being found guilty of domestic violence and drug offences. He's been sentenced to three community corrections orders. The federal opposition is accusing the government of rank political opportunism over its planned tax reforms. Government MPs will sit down in half an hour's time to discuss the changes to the Stage 3 tax cuts. Police have released CCTV of an unknown man in a stolen black Jeep in the hopes it will lead them to those responsible for shooting a lawyer outside his home in Greenacre and Australian Margot Robbie has missed out on an Oscar nomination for her role in Barbie. Tony McNamara is up for a Screenwriter Award for Poor Things. In sport experience trio Pat Cummins, Mitchell Marsh and Steve Smith are being rested from Australia's upcoming T20 series against the West Indies. And Chris, there'll be more news at four. Thanks, Ray. 131873. Just for the record, Andrew O'Keefe, former television personality, no relation. No relation, Andrew O'Keefe. Coming up, I'll speak to the New South Wales Planning Minister. There are some big changes for caravan owners planned. That is, it will be illegal for some caravans to be parked at the back of your home, in your backyard. You won't be able to have caravans in the back of your home. We got an email about this and there's some concerned people asking, well, surely we don't have another rule that dictates what we can have and can't have on our own property. I'll dive in it next. 131873 is our open line number. Now, if you have a caravan in your backyard, you're going to want to hear this because a lot of people opt for caravans as an alternative to granny flats. And as it stands right now, you don't need council approval to install a caravan or a camper van on your own property as long as it's used by members of your own household to put a roof over their head, right? So in a housing crisis, sometimes you put a caravan in the backyard So, someone's got somewhere to live. It's pretty straightforward, right? So, for example, adult children might live in the caravan out the back while saving for a house deposit, something like that. It's a great option, especially, as I said, in this housing crisis. But it could be about to change because Chris Minns, well, it looks like anyway, he's declaring war on caravans. Have a listen to what the New South Wales government is proposing in its new legislation. The new rules will, quote, impose a time limit of six months and put a size limit of 20 square metres for caravans on your own property unless you go and get council approval. So if you want a caravan at your place for more than six months or your caravan is bigger than 20 square metres, which most of them are, you'll have to go and get a council approval. A DA, I'm assuming. Oh, no. More red tape, more costs. It doesn't make any sense to me. If people want to put a caravan out the back of their house to house their grandmother or their mother or their son or daughter, then so be it. Well, 2GB Drive listener Laura from Kiama, she sent us an email about this, and Laura is one of the locals who has a caravan in her backyard. She's on the line. Laura, g'day. Hello, Chris. Thanks for raising the issue of the show. I appreciate you coming on. I think it's an important issue to to ventilate. Now, you recently purchased a, a caravan for your backyard to replace a granny flat. Walk us through why you did it. Basically, the bottom line was cost. And, 
here in time we have a big issue with our local council and mismanagement of funds. And to give Kaima Council another $20,000 of my hard-earned pennies was just a kick in the guts, really. And having the caravan was a fantastic option. And at the time, uh, it was in the middle of when the costs were you know, getting quite stupid after COVID and that sort of thing. So it was actually going to save us a lot of money in comparison to caravan, oh, in, in comparison to that granny flat as well. So why then, so talk us through your caravan, 50 square metres, is it? That's correct, yeah. And that's not a huge caravan, is it? No, it's it's not. It's it's basically like a little one-bedroom unit. It's independent. Mm. It's got its own electricity set up. Um, the water's, you know, it's not separate, but, it, you know, you can access the water, you can do your own washing. It's a perfect little independent setup for... You know, someone within the family who wants, who again, yeah, can't afford to go out on their own yeah. or is saving for a deposit. It's a good little independent, independent setup. And, and here in Cairo, it's becoming quite popular because, yeah, there, there is a big housing issue, housing crisis. So when you read that the New South Wales government is proposing to impose a time limit of six months uh, to have a caravan on your own property, unless you go and get council approval, what did you make of it? I thought another typical grab by local councils because they realise that they're missing out on some dollars here. So let's go and, you know, badger the Minns government and make it more of a nanny state. And, yeah, I just thought, how the hell is this going to help the the housing crisis? Have you heard of neighbours? Have you heard of friends that have those caravans or have those camper vans, you know, just so they can house family members? Many, lots, like I said, especially in the local area as the properties are larger and as the properties have gone up quite a substantial amount in the last two years, you know, young kids aren't able to afford the houses around here anymore and they're living in these caravans and the parents' properties, you know, saving for their own deposits. But not anymore. You're only allowed there for six months and move on. Laura, what's your message to the men's government? Wake up and smell the roses. Yeah. I mean, really, this is it, it, this is it really is ridiculous, and it's not going to help the housing crisis whatsoever. I mean, what about um, you know the, the former government bought a whole heap of these caravans for the people in Lismore. There was a big back order. We had to wait a little while for ours, and you know, so those people that have lost their homes in floods and bushfires and get these caravans, what are they going to do? Mm. It affects a whole raft of people. Laura, I really appreciate you sending us an email and I also appreciate you raising uh, this issue with us on on Drive this afternoon. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Chris. That's Laura, a Kiama local. Now, I've got the Planning Minister, Paul Scully, on the line here. He's just up the road from uh, Kiama around Wollongong Way. Paul, g'day. G'day, Chris. Good to be with you. So, uh, can you walk us through the changes or the proposed okay, changes? Yeah. So, so look, in terms of, of Laura's case and anyone else who might have a, uh, a van, a caravan uh, on their property installed, so this, this, I'll come back to the installed part uh, in a second, but under either the current exemptions or with a current approval from local councils, because some councils do require an approval already, um, these, the, any changes that we're talking about, uh, should they come into effect, won't affect them. They're about go the future, any future arrangements. Okay, so it won't be retrospective. So, 
No, not retrospective. Okay. So, so Laura should set her mind at ease. What she should do, though, is perhaps be talking to her council about the speed at which they approve some houses or rather don't approve in Kiama, but that's a whole, whole other issue. Um, what we're talking about is installed caravans or camper vans for a start, and this is part of a broader review, uh, something that hasn't been looked at for about 30 years. But an installed caravan uh, or camper van is one where there's a connection to, say, water, uh, or, or electricity. Uh, and uh, we're not talking about if you park uh, your van in your backyard or your front yard uh, so that you can use it at a later date. We're not changing of any of those sort of things. This is about uh, being installed. Also, not suggesting a DA process. Um, the, uh, the, the permission structure would be provided under uh, the, uh, the Local Government Act, which is a speedy one. What's happened is, is over years, uh, when you know these these the, the current arrangements for for van parks, for manufactured home sites, for caravans in people's front and backyards, for short term say arrangements for tiny homes, haven't been looked at in about 30 years, uh, and they were they were, were put in place at a time uh, when uh, when when uh, the, uh, the 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 vans and what constituted a van were a bit more modest than what they are today. There's some impressive vans that are going around at the moment. So this is about making sure that we're capturing and making sure that there's, there's proper amenity around the relevant health and safety and and, uh, and the like with the installations. I'm sure Laura's done it right. Unfortunately, there are others uh, who, uh, who haven't. Why does it matter if it's plumbed or, you know, in the power socket at someone's home? Why does it matter between the installation of a caravan versus it's it sitting in the well, backyard the, under its the, own steam? Yeah, well, the installation uh, suggests permanency, right? So, but what, uh, what, 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 why does that matter? I don't, I don't understand what, why that is a, a sticking point. Well, because it's it's the call on uh, call on services. Uh, it's about yeah, but services sure the that, homeowners paying for already. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. And it's not about it's not about it's not about who pays for it, uh, but it's also about making sure that uh, that we've got not mismatched and arbitrary restrictions in place. Making sure that there's consistency between secondary dwellings and what requires uh, a DA more generally, and what might be a complying development certificate. Uh, we've put this this uh, this draft out for exactly the sort of feedback uh, that we've been getting. We've had about uh, just under 400 submissions to the exhibition uh, process, and people will make that. I mean, this is at a time where you've got to remember that tiny homes didn't really exist when some of these rules were first put in place. Sure, and caravans did, though. Of course, it's not just... But this, this process isn't just about caravans in people's backyards. This is also about separation distances at caravan parks and manufacturing home areas, about... Uh, uh, about fire hydrants, fire safety, uh, and sure. all uh, a range of other standards in manufactured homes, some of which, and I've had these in my own electorate, some of which which are being uh, abused and misused by people. But sure, but there's a flip side to that, right? You put these, you know, impose a time limit of six months, size limit of 20 square metres for caravans. It is someone's private property at the end of the day. And it is, on the yes. flip on the flip side of that, you know, I had a... A colleague of mine who put this to me, and I'll read it to you. I lived in my uh, an old caravan out the back of my parents' place for three and a half years before moving to Sydney. My older brother did the same for six years prior to me moving into it. We're a family of six, got moved out of a rental property, and that was all we could afford at the time. I imagine oh, other I spent, families would be in similar 12, situations. I, I, I spent my year 12 years in a uh, in my uncle's caravan that was parked in the front yard of my parents' place because uh, they were sick of me burning the midnight oil did up he, inside uh, while I was studying. Did but he need a DA, your uncle? 
Or did he no, need to go to council? Not at the time. This is pre, pre this consideration. But, would it, would so, have, but, would it, but got, if going to council made any difference? This is what I'm trying to get other, at. Yeah, OK. But we've got other circumstances in terms of secondary dwellings more permanently where there's minimum lot sizes and the like that needs an approval process. There's an alignment that needs to happen between some of these, uh, these, uh, these oversights because there's been a mismatch over 30 years, right? And, and, and this is the process the, the, that we're going through. We're going through and put these, uh, these, these thoughts out mm. to get exactly the feedback we've got. We've got problems uh, in some areas in the north and south coast uh, where where there's been a uh, a creep in terms of you know, what's what's been, land is being used and the suitability of land being used uh, for manufactured home sites and camp and caravan sites. Uh, we've got a recommendation under the independent flood inquiry by Mary O'Kane and Mick Fuller uh, that the government adopted and said that we would have a look at it in terms of the flood aspects uh, of of the management of caravans as well. And on private property, it does come into it now. In disasters, it's a slightly different circumstance. In disasters, you can have up to two years with a banding yard and then a council has to say um, generally, not necessarily site-specific, but generally you can extend that if need be if, if for some reason uh, that people haven't got back into their homes. But we've put this out for the discussion. I'm yep. glad people like Laura and others have put in uh, their submissions and we'll be having a close look at those and, uh, and seeing where we might be able to make improvements, improve consistency and have a logical system in place uh, that, uh, that that made sure that people aren't being disadvantaged, uh, but there is a sensible oversight. All right, Minister, I appreciate you jumping on and, and providing some clarity to that. So it's not locked in stone by any stretch no, of the no, imagination. No, no, no. Look, okay. look, Chris, as 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 you would appreciate, you know, when when something's. 30 years since it's been looked at, uh, you want to put it out so there is some of that discussion so people can uh, erase any issues that they might have with it. And that's exactly what we're eliciting uh, from the submission process. I'm glad that people have got involved in that. Uh, and uh, and we, what we've got to do is balance uh, all of the needs and the competing, sometimes competing objectives of everyone involved sure. in this. And that's what we'll be looking at. Maybe your uncle could put a submission in. <laughs> I'm, I'm not moving into that man. It was pretty ordinary. <laughs> Minister, I appreciate you jumping on. Good on you. For 12 months. Yeah, good on you. Hey, thanks, Chris. Th that's the New South much. Wales Planning Minister, Paul Scully. 131873 feels like red tape to me, but with any luck, the submissions will mean that the uh, the planning department and the planning minister see a bit of sense there because it just feels like government in your lives again. Ultimately, private property, it's a caravan. Not a big deal. If someone wants to park there, plumb in, plug up, who cares? 12 to 4. It's 8 minutes to 4. This Australian Open update, thanks to Booper. Prepare for life with Booper. Search Booper Health Insurance and switch today. At Melbourne Park, Daniel Medvedev and Hubert Hurkacz are one set all in their uh, quarterfinal. Well, as we head towards the business end of the Australian Open, 131873, just as about this proposed ban on people being able to put caravans in their backyards. Carol's called in from Ride. Carol, g'day. Hi there, Chris. Chris, we had a slab built specifically for our caravan a couple of years ago. And if any politician or senator or someone wants to tell us that we cannot have our caravan off the road and or, like, in our own backyard and it's not intrusive, they can go jump. Carol? Absolutely. Unbelievable. It's just a money grab. If I've ever heard anyone talk a whole lot of crap, especially saying the laws haven't been changed or looked at in 30 years, 
That's ridiculous. They don't need to be looked at. I don't, I don't hear anyone complaining about it. I don't know why they need to be looked at. Carol, I appreciate your call. 131873. Let's go to Deborah in Orange. Hello, Deborah. Oh, hello, Chris. How are you? I'm Happy good, New you. Year. Happy New Year to you too. Now, I, I'm sorry. I have been listening, and I think I'm. I don't think I'm unintelligent. I don't understand the correlation between having a caravan on your property, which perhaps could house one or two two people, as opposed to having a two-bedroom residence where you could have in excess of ten people, which no one would know about. <laughs> It's exactly the same. That's a very good point, Deborah. I've got to keep running. Adam's at Bankstown. Adam, g'day. Hey, mate. Um, so, heaven forbid, you know, we find any sort of way to, to help the young young generation get into the property market. You know what I mean? Like, this is a perfect opportunity for the kids to have an opportunity to, you know, try and save. But, oh, no, they're going to squash that too, aren't they? Adam, I, I don't understand it. No one's complaining about it, so I don't know why it needs to be addressed. Adam, appreciate your call. One three one eight seven three. Final one on this. Alex on the text line makes a really good point. Chris, I see this is needed as we have a shortage of housing throughout the state. If the Premier doesn't like it, tell him to construct 100,000 new homes immediately so that we, the community, don't need to come up with ideas of how and where to live. Five to four. The four o'clock news is coming up shortly. We're just hearing reports, thanks to Robin on the text line, there is a boat fire at the basin in Pitwater. Fire and rescue tell us they're on their way to the boat fire at the basin in Pitwater. Water police and the RFS are there. No reports of injuries at this stage. And if you're on the road tonight, just be aware, double demerits for the Australia Day long weekend kick in at midnight tonight. Double demerits, midnight tonight. Now back to Drive with Chris O'Keefe on Sydney's 2GB. It's seven minutes past four. Thank you for your company this Wednesday afternoon. 131873 is our open line number. 0460 873 873 if you want to send me a text. Drive at 2GB.com on the email. Now coming up in the show, we'll speak to the New South Wales Taxi Council because they're calling for better regulation. They reckon that the regulation of the taxi industry at the moment is not up to scratch. I'll explain that very shortly. But before we get into it, a five-year-old boy at the moment is in a adduced coma after a pretty ordinary uh, incident at Centennial Park. So he is in a critical condition. He's been kicked in the head by a horse at Centennial Park, the poor little boy. And he was struck while walking the horse at about 1 p.m., And paramedics have placed the boy in an induced coma. He's gone to Sydney Children's Hospital at Randwick for urgent medical treatment. And this story is in the Daily Telegraph. It is understood the child was with family who were attending to the horse when the accident happened. Now, police are at the scene. A crime scene has been set up. So let's just hope that little boy is okay. 131873. Inside word on everything Sydney. It's Drive with Chris O'Keefe on 2GB. Well, the fallout has begun with the Prime Minister's decision to break his election promise and radically scale back and radically restructure the Stage 3 tax cuts. A story we broke here on this program Monday afternoon. Now, the Prime Minister voted for these tax cuts in Parliament. He took them to the 2022 election. The people of Australia voted for these tax cuts at the 2019 election and again at the 2022 election because we thought they were bipartisan. He has promised countless times that he would not touch the stage three tax cuts that are 
as Paul Keating said, L-A-W law. But then today, there he was in the Prime Minister's courtyard, breaking his promise to all Australians. My job isn't to say, oh, I'll just wring my hands about cost of living pressure that people are feeling. My job is to respond, to seek advice and then to make a difference, to make the right decision, not the easy decision. I'll be taking a proposal on economic policy to the party room this afternoon. This proposal will be all about supporting middle Australia. We know that there are cost of living pressures on middle Australia and we're determined to follow the Treasury advice to provide assistance to them. I really want to know what Anthony Albanese in the Federal Labor Government's definition of middle Australia is because there are many people, especially single income households who earn more than $200,000 a year who are not wealthy and I would say are middle Australia. And listen to these figures. Australians who earn more than $120,000 a year make up just 12% of all taxpayers in this country, yet those Australians pay 55% of all income tax. 4.1% of all Australians, uh, all taxpayers in Australia, earn more than $180,000 a year. So 4.1% of all taxpayers in Australia earn more than $180,000 a year. Very small number, 4.1% yet. That 4.1% pays 35% of the country's income tax. So people who are contributing obscene volumes of their own income to pay for government services to keep Australia operating are the people that are declared as wealthy by Albo. Now, he will give some of a promised tax cut that was promised to them that they voted for to people who earn less money and have already received tax cuts in Stage 1 and 2, plus a laundry list worth of rebates and means-tested programs that people on lower incomes are entitled to get. Now, Australians are seeing their standard of living getting increasingly worse, and I think the government simply has panicked here after seeing its polls get increasingly worse. And the problem is the Prime Minister needs in the Senate the support of the Greens. Now, the Coalition has said, forget it, we're not supporting it. One Nation has said, forget it, we're not supporting it. But the Greens must support the Prime Minister's legislation if it is to pass. So what actually comes out after the parliamentary process might be even worse than we think because Labor's plan right now is to cut the tax benefit for middle and high income earners and give it to lower income earners. And the Greens, they want the whole Stage 3 tax cut scrapped. Now, I was on the phone all afternoon, all day really, and I know that the Greens, well, many of them, they want to push Labor as close to the brink as they possibly can to further cut the benefits for higher income earners and then give even more of that money to lower income earners. In fact, here's Green Senator Mayroon Faruqi today. If Labor would stop dressing up a stinker of a policy and actually scrap tax cuts for the rich, then we, we could invest in supporting people who are really struggling at this point in time by putting dental into Medicare, by making childcare and education free, and by freezing rents for two years till wages catch up. <sighs> they don't know what they're talking about, these people, the Greens. Seriously, they have no idea what they're talking about. Free dental care? Do you seriously think scrapping stage three would pay for that? 
But if you think your tax got lost is bad now, imagine when Albo and Adam Band get their heads together and nut out the deal that they've got to nut out to get the program through the Senate. Well, Shadow Treasurer Angus Taylor is with me live on the line. Angus, g'day. Good to be with you. So firstly, Alternative Treasurer, no way in the world you'll support the changes. Yeah, we are absolutely locked down on supporting the Stage 3 tax cuts. We haven't seen the package that's come forward. There's more to come, apparently, but let's see. But but what's very clear is they're ditching at least an important part of the Stage 3 tax cuts. And who knows, by the time they've negotiated with the Greens, as you just said, they may well have ditched the whole thing. And keep in mind here, these these tax cuts provide over a thousand bucks to the average earner. Uh, so it's not. I don't think the person on average weekly earnings is particularly wealthy. And right now, I don't think many Australians are feeling particularly wealthy, uh, as you said a little while ago. And there's people in Western Sydney who have had to pay well over a million dollars for a house uh, just to raise a family. Uh, and frankly, the mortgage they're paying now requires them to have a big income just to get by. What is the? Do you think there's a disconnect between income and wealth in this country? I sort of raised this proposition earlier in the show that just because you've got a big income doesn't necessarily mean you're wealthy. Well, absolutely right. So you'll have listeners and, and uh, young families, uh, particularly in uh, I see them in in my electorate um, in at the edge of southwestern Sydney. Who are, who are working their guts out uh, just to pay the mortgage to raise the kids. And there's not a lot of wealth there. Most of the wealth is owned by the bank, to be honest. Mm. The house is largely owned by the bank. Um, and they're just trying to make ends meet. And, of course, it's got a lot harder. I mean, we've seen uh, a, around a 9% reduction in people's standard of living on average. Many have seen much more of a dip than that. Rising prices, uh, rising interest rates and rising taxes, Chris, a 27% increase in personal income taxes paid by Australians over the last 18 months. It's really biting hard. Um, and, uh, of course, the other problem we've got is an economy that is only now driven by immigration, nothing else. You take out immigration, the economy's in recession. Sure. Um, and uh, we've got to get out of that, and you don't get out of that uh, by... Uh, by declaring war on aspiration, which is what Albanese is doing. Fast forward, election next year. Do you roll back the package once again and reinstate Stage 3 as proposed by Morrison and Frydenberg? Well, we clearly haven't seen the whole package, so I'm not going to put the cart before the horse here. And you know, it's reasonable to ask where this goes from here, but we've got to see exactly what it is. Uh, and uh, the Prime Minister will be laying it out in the press club speech tomorrow, so we'll we'll look closely at that. But what our position is unambiguous on the stage three tax cuts. We support them, um, and uh, we'll see where Labor goes from here. I mean, the position that's changed is Labor's. They committed, the Prime Minister and the Treasurer, over 100 times in support of these stage three tax cuts. They've been locked in for years. They're in legislation. Uh, but but, but and, very very briefly, on the lower end, at the redistribution from the top end to the lower end, as is proposed by the Albanese government, does the coalition stand in the way of people who earn less than $150,000 getting more of a tax cut than they would under the current legislated ta- stage three proposal? Well, we're in support of simpler, fairer, lower taxes, and um, that's where we start. So we'll look at that. That's not part of the stage three tax cuts. Of course, that's something they've overlaid. Uh, so we'll look at that um, as as we get the details, and we're only just seeing it now. What I would say, and what we've already seen, at least as it's reported, there's still a $16 billion hole. So uh, we clearly haven't seen the full package because they're promising that it's, it's neutral to the budget. So there's clearly more to come in all of this. 
let's see how it comes out. But but our position on the stage three tax cuts is clear. Uh, we're not going to be part of a war on aspiration. We're not going to be part of Albanese creating a new class war in this country. Uh, and we we think the reality is if people work hard, have a go, take risks, invest uh, and employ people, sure. um, we should reward that and incent that. And that's what the stage three tax cuts were all about. Thank you, Taylor. Appreciate your time. Glad to be with you. Yeah, interestingly, Peter Dutton will join, of course, Ray Hadley uh, tomorrow. So we'll get his reaction on uh, where the coalition goes to when we get the finer detail of the Albanese tax cut backflip. Now, I'm interested to see what the Teals have to say on this. And I've been extremely impressed with Allegra Spender as the independent member for Wentworth. I know Monique Ryan in Kuyong reckons the whole thing should be ripped up. Kate Cheney in Curtin over in WA thinks the same. David Pocock in the Senate, he thinks the same too. But I'm pleased to say uh, Allegra Spender is on the line for us. Allegra, good day. Good day. Are you concerned at the Prime Minister's decision to, to overhaul the stage three tax cuts? Uh, look, I really am. Uh, I have some of those families in my electorate, um, you know, people on single incomes. You know, a, a guy wrote to me, he said, look, you know, we've got two young kids. One of them's not very well. My wife can't go back to work. I'm the only breadwinner. And I'm planning to use that stage three tax cut um, to help try and get onto the property ladder. I've, I've not managed to do it since, you know, so far, but I'm hoping that that will give me a bit of a chance. So there are people out there making real choices based on the assumption that the stage three tax cuts were going to go through. I know that people will say, oh, well, Allegra Spender, she's just saying that because she's in Wentworth and there are some high net worth individuals in your electorate. But is that broadly true of the people and the constituents of that part of the eastern suburbs? Look, you know, we are an area that has, you know, of, you know more wealthy part, people than, you know, other parts of the country. But we also have, like, almost half the, the area rents. You know, these are a lot of young families, young people, some of them on good working incomes, but they've studied hard. They've got big debts. You know, they're trying to get, um, you know, their rents are going up. You know, some of them are going up by literally $300 a week. Um, and they are trying to do, you know, trying to get ahead and, and trying to build, you know, a future. And, you know, what I say to, um, you know, what I've said about the government and I'll, I'll say also to the opposition is that, you know, we should be having a conversation about tax. But we should be having a bigger conversation about how to make sure that, you know, our kids, our young people can buy a house and how to make sure we've got a tax system that helps our businesses and to grow and do well and to employ people. And I don't think we've had this conversation about tax. And certainly, you know, what the government's doing now is not really addressing some of the biggest issues that we have in this country. But ultimately, doesn't it just come down to something as simple as this? In 2019, the Australian people voted for Scott Morrison and the coalition, and as part of that, were the stage three tax cuts to be legislated. Then in 2022, we voted in our Anthony Albanese and the Labor Party because we thought stage three was bipartisan. And then all of a sudden, we wake up one January of 2024, and that is no longer the case. Yeah, look, I think that people are really worried about that, and so am I. You know, if the government wanted to change it, they had the 2022 election where they could have said, you know, we're going to rework these. And, you know, and, and, and I think they've, that's what I think people expected them to, to do. So, you know, if the changes are as substantial as, you know, everyone's reporting, I think there'll be a whole bunch of people who said, why weren't you up front um, if this is what you wanted to do? And if, you know, and, and of course, we all want to help people who are having a hard time right now. But the government has other options and they could have used those other options. Do you think someone who earns $200,000 a year is wealthy? 
No, I don't. And I think what you made the point, Chris, earlier, that wealth and income are not the same thing. And I, you know, give you an example. You know, what you're seeing is that, you know, sort of older, older parts of Australia, people who already own their own home, you know, those people, they're not facing the same, I think, issues that a whole bunch of people are facing right now. Um, and, you know, you've seen that the older generation in the last, you know, 15 years, you know, their wealth has gone up by uh, half. You know, and that's really great. You know, they've worked hard. But you're seeing that younger generations, like families under the age of 35, you know, their wealth hasn't gone up at all, really, in the last 15 years. And that's why I'm saying, you know, we, we've got to do something that gives our younger generations a better chance of, you know, succeeding the way that other Australians have. Um, because they need to believe that they can buy a home, that they can raise a family, that they can make these decisions that are part, you know, of being an Australian and, and what we expect. Allegra Spender, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for jumping on. And for what it's worth, I think you're doing a fine job. Keep it up. Thanks so much, Chris. That's Allegra Spender, independent member for Wentworth, 131873. See? Allegra Spender gets it, doesn't it? Income does not equal wealth. They are two separate things. And attacking people's income, all it means is that they will not be able to get to the point where they can build worth wealth. And that is what Albo and Jim Chalmers seem dead set on doing. 20 past four. It's 25 past four, 131873. A little bit of breaking news. So this measles alert from New South Wales Health, it says this. So people who may have been exposed to measles, it's from an adult who recently returned from Asia. And there's been an ongoing outbreak of measles in Pakistan and India and parts of Asia. And if you were on Air India flight AI302 from Delhi to Sydney on the 20th of January at 8.10am, you need to watch out. And if you're at Terminal 1 of the international arrivals on Saturday the 20th of January, you need to watch out for symptoms. And then if you got on a bus from Sydney to Canberra, a Murray's bus, departing the international airport at about half past 10 on Saturday, they're saying just... Keep an eye out for symptoms because measles, incredibly contagious, 131873. And on our rail network, looks like there's some issues with the light rail. It's not running between Town Hall and Circular Quay. So, geez, this happens a lot, the light rail not running in town. So the L2 and L3 light rail services are not running between Town Hall and Circular Quay due to a power supply issue. Passengers are told to catch trains instead between Town Hall and Circular Quay. Uh, you don't have to worry if you're trying to get on the tram between Town Hall, Randwick and South's Juniors. But just check the information, check your service updates. But power supply issue on the light rail between Town Hall and Circular Quay, 131873. Just on the tax issue, Patrick has texted in. Chris, try this. I'm a self-funded retiree, as is my wife. We have enough that we receive almost no government entitlements at all, which can be hard, but that's fine by us. We both have other investments and I work a little. These changes mean we have greatly reduced tax on our non-super investments and work payments. This is wrong. Consider our next door neighbours that have two kids, they rent and the husband is the only one that works, earning about $190,000. This family desperately needs tax cuts and are banking on them. We get tax cuts and they don't, uh, and they don't under Albanese's deception. The system needs reform, but not Albanese's. Patrick, that is a really, really good text. And extremely good of you to look after your neighbour like that. So, well done. 131873. Helen says, Chris, part of the problem is that the Labor Party haven't got a clue. The majority of them have done nothing other than politics. 
They've effectively been on the public purse their entire working life. Politicians should not be eligible to stand for politics unless they have worked outside of politics for a decent period of time. It is a very good point, Helen, and it's one that's always bothered me. And on both sides of politics, you see it all the time. You see that the young liberal crew who just work for politicians end up at a consultancy somewhere or in a ministerial office and then get the role, the red carpet treatment into parliament. Or on the other side of politics, the Labor Party, they go through the union movement or work at Sussex Street or work in a minister's office, and then they themselves become members of parliament, ministers of the crown, or, God forbid, prime ministers or premiers. And the problem is there can be a big disconnect between that life and the life of the rest of us, right? One three one. 873. Just on Australia Day on Friday, there's, well, it's good to see, anyway, Transport for New South Wales. They're not mucking around. They're not going down the Brad Banducci, Woolworth sort of line, are they? Or the Cricket Australia or the Tennis Australia. This is, this is the headline of the Transport for New South Wales media release about public transport on Friday, Australia Day. Quote, all aboard public transport for Australia Day in Sydney. Well done. Sydney siders and visitors are urged to leave the car at home, catch public transport uh, for events all around the CBD on the 26th of January, Australia Day. Howard Collins said public transport services would run to a weekend or public holiday timetable, so they won't be peak and that sort of thing, but just leave the car at home because there's lots of stuff going on. If you're on the water, just understand the boating rules. The ferry-thon kicks off at 12.10, the big flotilla that goes past the Sydney Opera House, and there's a whole bunch of other harbour activities. Uh, there will be road closures in place from 7.30pm until 10.30pm. The Carl Expressway will be shut, and then roads in and around Circular Quay and north of Bridge Street will also be shut. Olympic Drive at Milsons Point and along the harbour foreshore will also close on Australia Day from 10.30am to 1pm. So you've also got to remember, midnight tonight, double demerits kick in. I don't like it how they kick in a day early, but anyway, that's how they've set up the law. So midnight tonight, the double demerit period will begin for the Australia Day long weekend. So if you've got your phone in your hand, that is 10 points gone. So just be very, very careful. Speeding, seatbelts, motorcycle helmets... Just be aware. Double demerits from midnight tonight. Rhiannon Solomon-Marin, g'day. G'day, Chris. Emergency crews are at the scene of a plane crash at Brownlow Hill near Camden, where the aircraft has come down in a paddock. A boy has been taken to hospital with serious head injuries after he was kicked by a horse in Centennial Park. Another measles alert has been issued after a person with the virus flew from Delhi to Sydney and then caught a bus to Canberra while infectious. And double demerits kick in at midnight as police launch a safety operation ahead of the long weekend. In sport, Daniel Medvedev holds a two sets to one lead over Hubert Hercatch in the men's quarterfinal at the Australian Open. And Chris, there'll be more news at five. Thanks, Ree. 131873 Rowan on the text line. The light rail runs on battery between Circular Quay and Town Hall. Power failure doesn't make sense. No overhead wires. I don't think it's on battery, is it, Rowan? I'll check this out. I've got Josh Murray, the Secretary for Transport for New South Wales, on the show later, but I don't think it's on battery. I think that the power is actually underground between Circular Quay and Town Hall as you go down George Street. It's in the sort of the, uh, underneath the uh, uh, the trams themselves, underneath George Street. But I'll check that. Thanks for that, Rowan. 131873. Coming up, did you know this? In the last 12 months, 200 taxi drivers have ignored punishments 
for misbehaviour and it keeps on happening. So what is the tipping point? What needs to occur to ensure the cabbies pick you up and take you when you need to go? by law. I'll speak to the Taxi Council next. It's 24 to 5, 131873. Now, have you been overcharged by a taxi or have they just not come and picked you up? Or they said, oh, don't worry about it. We're not turning on the, we're not turning on the meter today. It's 50 bucks to go from Martin Place to Macquarie Street. Well, in the last 12 months, according to The Guardian, over 200 taxi drivers ignored punishments for misbehaviour. So this is what's happening. The cabbies are overcharging passengers, refusing short trips and not using their metres. But because the industry doesn't have a driver database, when the drivers get sacked or get sanctioned, they just move to a rival company. The new joint has no idea that they're hiring a taxi driver that has either been suspended from another company or is under the guise of sanctions. Now, taxi drivers like everyone else, you need to follow the law, right? You've got to be accountable for your actions. And if you're refusing to take people on short trips or turning the meter on, then if it gets to the point where you continuously do it, surely it's time to get another job. Well, for more, I'm joined by Nick Abraham. He's the New South Wales Taxi Council Chief Executive, and he's on the line. Nick, g'day. Good afternoon, Chris. Driver database. I would have thought it's a pretty straightforward proposition. Look, it, it is, Chris, and in actual fact, it's a system that we had in place uh, previously that was run and administered by the New South Wales government. Uh, the former regulator, uh, RMS at the time, uh, was actually uh, managing a database, and there was actually two parts to this. There was a centralised uh, database based on feedback system, so all the complaints were logged and registered uh, and would be followed up in, a, um, in an appropriate manner, but the, uh, the second part to it was a centralised accreditation system, which is probably more of what we're, mm. uh, we're putting pushing for where a driver gets issued only with one authority, one ID card. And if that driver risks losing that ID card, they're gone. They're, like you said, you know, go find another job because we don't want them in this industry and uh, we definitely want to uh, uh, send a strong message to you know, the, the handful of drivers, Chris. Let, let, let's put this in perspective. You know, we've got over 15,000 yeah, drivers across New South Wales. We know the majority are out there providing a great service, doing the right thing. But those uh, few rogue drivers that are out there wanting to uh, tarnish the industry, well, we want to get rid of them. So when I get in the cab or the taxi and I look up and just above the, the dash there, there is usually a licence or a, you know, like a, a photo ID of some sort. Is that not, is that not the, the basis for one's registration? That is the means for a person to become uh, uh, eligible, I guess, to become a, a taxi driver. And that must, by law, must be uh, uh, displayed at all times whenever they're carrying out their, their shifts. However, as, as you noted earlier, that ID card is issued by the taxi uh, taxi brand or the taxi company. Really? Uh, and yeah, exactly right. So, and here's, here's the here's the other problem, Chris. Is you, you have some drivers that drive for multiple brands and for various and, and rightful reasons, right? So, if they need to uh, do that, they've got to carry one card for each different. Uh, it's almost like that wallet with the ten different credit cards, right? That you've got to have just because you want to become a taxi driver. Has this always been the case? Uh, well, only in the last uh, five or six years since what? the introduction of the point-to-point regulation. Why? Uh, previously, it wasn't. Um, and it's well, okay, it's because the uh, when the uh, the uh, government, the former government, I should say, uh, ran, you know, did uh, a number of reviews when uh, Uber entered our shores 
uh, and looked at saying, OK, well, we need to get out of the way. We need to remove a number of these regulations. Let me tell you, Chris, nobody asked for these to be removed. We, we think that, um, you know, it was obviously a bad decision. Uh, and actually, industry is calling for a number of these regulations to come back because we need it. We are, we, we are proud of the industry that we, uh, we stand for. We are proud of the services that we want to deliver to the customers. But we need the support of these regulations to be able to be more effective in, uh, in taking actions and holding these drivers accountable, like you mentioned. Um, this isn't Andrew Constance's fault, is it? Well, it does go back to uh, Andrew Constance. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, he was <laughs> in that sense because he was uh, the minister at the time and uh, and he did uh, run the review. It was under the Sturgis review at the mm, time back in uh, uh, 2015. Yeah. yeah. So... If there is a serious complaint against a taxi driver and they drive for, I don't know, one three cabs and that serious complaint is upheld and one three cabs goes to the bloke, look, mate, you're not welcome here. We can't have you on the books anymore. You're not driving for us any longer. And he picks up work with a different cab company. That different cab company would have absolutely no idea about that first sanction. Exactly right. And even and even that seems in the case bizarre where- to me. It is, Chris. And look, even in the case where we, we know there have been repeat offenders, uh, like the uh, this 200 uh, that the Guardian have, call, have called out, and these are because, you know, we, we, taxi companies are taking action, but they're very restricted in how far they go. And even if they go to the worst case, where we know that there have been, uh, you know, probably over 30 uh, drivers that have been removed uh, from, from the, uh, the various uh, brands that they've been associated with, they've just gone up the road, applied with another company or another taxi business and, uh, and been issued with another card and, and off they go. That's not fixing the problem. And we want to get, get real and get serious about fixing this issue. And I know Minister Halen is, uh, is fair dinkum about fixing it because soon after taking over the transport portfolio, you know, I sat down with, uh, with Minister Halen and we talked about increasing the penalties to $1,000 and we did that and we know that's working and working well. We know that there's been an increase in the number of officers the Point to Point Commissioner has put on the roads and that's worked well. They've, they've had covert operations, you know, where we've got undercover officers out there and acting as passengers, which is great. Because, and it's worked well because we've seen a lot of these drivers that have been issued with a penalty haven't been, um, you know, uh, penalised more than twice, sure. yeah, for example. So, so those sort of measures are working, but don't go far enough, and we need to get to this centralised system uh, to really get fed and fix this problem. Right on, Nick. I appreciate you jumping on. Thanks so much. Thanks, Chris. Cheers. That's Nick Abraham. He's from the New South Wales Taxi Council. One three one eight seven three. Just quickly on the text line, just about the light rail. If you missed it, the light rail is not running at the moment between Town Hall and Circular Quay due to a power supply issue. And we had the question, well, they run on batteries, don't they? And I thought, no, 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 the power's in the tracks. I was sure of it. Well, we've had a couple of people confirm that. Anthony from Bondi Junction says, Chris, power for light rail is in the tracks where there's no wires above. And Lester says, Chris, in relation to tram power outage, the Sydney trams are not battery-powered, unlike the Newcastle trams. Between Town Hall and Circular Quay, there's an electrified third rail between the rails, which provides the power in place of the overhead wires. The tram bogies have a shoe, which picks up the power. If the power's out, trams don't run. The rest of the light rail network have overhead wires, which provide power to the trams. Lester, good on you. I really appreciate you clearing that up. And same to you, Anthony. One three one eight seven three seventeen to 5 it's 13 to 5, 131873 is the open line number. This story in 9news.com.au. So Australia Day trading hours, of course, you will see, you know, amended trading hours as you do most public holidays for big stores. But 9news has helpfully gone around and done a little check for us. 
Ironically, most woolly stores will be open uh, across the country, with some exceptions. In New South Wales and the ACT, though, all Woolworths supermarkets will remain open. Target, if you want to get down to Target, Target shops will remain open in every state on Australia Day, with the exception of South Australia. Uh, Coles has confirmed that all Coles stores will remain open. Bunnings, same deal. So if you need some barbecue equipment or mozzie spray or whatever you need, go down to Bunnings. Bunnings will be open on Australia Day. If you need to buy a carton of beer or some booze for your barbecue, Dan Murphy's BWS Liquorland and Vintage Cellars will be open for trading on January 26. And as with most major outlets, specific opening hours will vary. But strangely, residents in South Australia, there will be reduced trading times because of a strange... Little law down there, 131873. Now, a light plane has reportedly crashed southwest of Sydney shortly after it took off from Camden Airport. I just had a look at some pictures. I saw that come through, I think it was on 7 News in an update. And a Cessna aircraft from a local flying school, it's understood it crashed in Brownlow Hill, about nine kilometres from the airport where it took off. It's unknown how many people were aboard the plane. Officers are at the scene of the crash. The wreck did not look good, though. So a Cessna aircraft from a local flying school has crashed at Brownlow Hill shortly after it took off from Camden Airport. When we get a little bit more information as to injuries and the like, or potentially even worse, we'll bring those to you. But there has been a light plane crash, and I saw the pictures, and it does not look good. One three one eight seven three. And are you looking to go to Taylor Swift or have you been trying to get Taylor Swift tickets? Because the ACCC, its scam watch arm, says that 273 people have reported being scammed into buying fake Taylor Swift tickets on social media. $135,000 has been lost. This story, ABC News. Now, mostly people have been losing money here in New South Wales. 114 scams, fake Taylor Swift tickets... And $54,000 has been lost. So Frontier Touring, which is bringing Taylor Swift out to Sydney and Melbourne this February, says that all Australian resale tickets to her tour will not go on sale until a week before the gigs. So you won't be able to get Ridgy Didge genuine Taylor Swift tickets until a week before the concerts in both Melbourne and and Sydney. So if somebody is selling it to you on a Facebook marketplace or a social media website or whatever it may be, just be extremely careful. I know they're hot property. I know lots of people want to go. I think there was more than 4 million people attempting to buy tickets to the concerts in Melbourne and Sydney. So there's lots of people who have missed out who absolutely love Taylor Swift, but please don't give your money to criminals. That's the last thing you need to do. This Australian Open Update, thanks to Bupa. Prepare for life with Bupa. Search Bupa Health Insurance and switch today. Just an update on the quarterfinal down at Melbourne Park in the Australian Open. Daniel Medvedev, two sets up over Hubert Hercatch in their quarterfinal. So, Daniel Medvedev, he's up two sets. I reckon he's probably, well, he's won... He's an outside chance if he gets to the final of beating Novak Djokovic. I'm assuming... Well, maybe they're on the same side of the draw, but Medvedev is an extremely good tennis player. So he's the one we want to see as we get deeper into the tournament and closer to the final because he's a seriously good tennis player. And I think Novak would be more concerned about 
taking him on than he would her catch. One three one eight seven three. Mari uh, has called in from Botany. Hello, Mari. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Not too bad, thank you. I was just listening to talking to the chap about the taxi companies um, and the driver how they can go from one company to another. I'm just wondering why don't the companies why aren't they doing reference checks like they do in most other industries for you know any recruitment process? You always check things. Yeah, Mari, you've got, it's a really good point. And I thought the same thing when I was speaking to Nick Abraham from the Taxi Council. Surely, if I'm applying for a job, you check the references from my former employer, my most recent employer, especially if you're going for a taxi driving job and your former employer was a taxi company, right? Absolutely. And the driving record. Well, maybe they're not. Who knows? Mari, I really appreciate <laughs> your call. Good, It's a re- really good point and it's a good tip. One, three, one, eight, seven, three. Just on this, uh, Michael says, Chris, the same applies for driving instructors. About two years ago, we sacked a guy for misconduct Two weeks later, he's working for another company. Michael, appreciate your text. Leah says, Chris, good afternoon. My colleague is an Uber driver and he shared the story yesterday that he picked up a Canadian family on holiday staying at the Stamford near the airport and they were going to Barangaroo. They told him the taxi charged them $80 from Pitt Street Mall to the Stamford from the day before, 80 bucks. Uber was $44, which included using the tunnel. Now, they were so happy with his service, they tipped him $5.00. And they added that the taxi meter was not turned on. Now they know they can use Uber. They'll keep using Uber. Well, this is the problem, right? If you, if the taxi industry is trying to push back on Uber and point-to-point services and rideshare services, turn the meter on and make sure you play by the rules. We've got the four, 5 o'clock news coming up with Rhiannon and Solomon Marin very shortly. Just a little bit of a story in the Sydney Morning Herald regarding Alan Joyce. Alan Joyce, the former Qantas boss, has quit as chair of the Sydney Theatre Company. That's after the company was engulfed in controversy following an onstage pro-Palestinian protest by three of the actors. And I think Alan Joyce has just said, you know what, I really don't need it. I don't need to come back and deal with what is another reputational crisis as chair of the Sydney Theatre Company. So whoever else is on the board can have that one. One three one eight seven three. just an update to this light plane crash in our southwest. So confirmation, one person has died. One person has died, unfortunately. So this is at Brownlow Hill Loop Road at Brownlow Hill. A light plane had just taken off about 3.15pm from Camden Airport, and it crashed nine kilometres after it had uh, left Camden Airport. And unfortunately, I did see the the crash pictures. I think it was on Channel 7, and it didn't look good. So confirmation, one person has unfortunately died. Our thoughts with that person's family and friends. Very difficult. Now back to Drive with Chris O'Keefe on Sydney's 2GB. It's seven minutes past five. Thank you for your company on this Wednesday afternoon. Of course, 131873 is that open line number. If you want to send us an email, drive at 2GB.com. The text line's open to 0460 873 873. Now, I've got a bit of news to break this afternoon. There will be a ferry strike tomorrow. From 8 a.m. to 9, sorry, from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. tomorrow morning, the Maritime Union will not run the following services, a ferry strike. So the Mortlake Ferry or 
colloquially known as the Putney Punt, that crosses the Parramatta River from Mortlake to Putney, it will not run for an hour tomorrow morning. The Barara Waters Ferry that crosses Barara Creek at Barara Waters from Bay Road to Barara Waters Road, that will not run for an hour tomorrow morning. The Webbs Creek Ferry that crosses the Hawkesbury River between Wiseman's Ferry and uh, the junction with the McDonald River there, that also will not run for an hour tomorrow morning. And the Sackville Ferry that crosses the Hawkesbury north of Sackville on Sackville Road, that will not run tomorrow. These are sort of vehicle ferries. So you can drive your car onto them and then get across the different rivers. So just repeating, from 8am to 9am tomorrow morning, as a result of industrial action, the Maritime Union will not run the Mortlake Ferry, the Barara Waters Ferry, Webbs Creek Ferry and Sackville Ferry between 8am to 9am. Now, the operator is an outfit called Burdens. And the union claims that Burdens, they're just not coming to the party on any offer at all in terms of a wage increase. And the workers at that outfit are some of the workers earning the lowest wages possible under the award system. Now, the again, the consequence is an hour stoppage between 8am and 9am tomorrow. Now, Paul Garrett is the MUA's Sydney branch deputy secretary and he's on the line. Paul, g'day. Yeah, g'day. How are you, Chris? So, so why the strike? Well, we don't know what else to do. There have been negotiations going on since September last year and, you know, it's good for people talking about tax relief today. We're talking about workers that are earning the absolute legal minimum, moving those wide-drawn ferries across at those areas, Mortlake and Wiseman's and Sackville and Webbs Creek and Barrera. They are earning the lowest amount. We've met with burdens for the last few months. I met with them directly last Friday. There's no wage increase, zero. I mean, cost of living inflation is currently, what, about 5.4% and still going north. Sydney's one of the most expensive cities to live in the world, and the grand offer for burdens is zero. This is an outfit that's operated under contract from Transport for New South Wales. Another great contract, Chris, that was signed up by the former Liberal government and some of those geniuses that have been signed in where they've signed a contract where there's no capacity to pay wage increases. And we were told by burdens... They'll only pay wage increases if the New South Wales government pays them more. Now, that's extortion and workers deserve better. When you say the absolute legal minimum, what are we talking in terms of an hourly rate for these guys? Just just on $30 an hour. Now, these are people that uh, have to work around the clock. Um, they might get access to some penalty rates, um, but they've got to work the long hours to get them. These are 24-7 ferries. So $30 an hour, roughly, what's there, that's the minimum. But... Let's put it in context. There's other operators that come in and relieve that can be earning anything up to 50% more. And if you look at the market rate on Sydney Harbour, they're earning roughly half of what other workers on ferries and other vessels around the harbour are earning. I mean, these are literally the lowest working, lowest paid workers. They deserve more money. Yeah, 60 grand a year is not much. Well, you can't survive in Sydney on 60 grand a year. And that's the thing. Everyone's talking about tax cuts today. We're talking about workers that will never sue those big thing, uh, numbers to get the state through, tax cuts, that's a dream. Um, you'll only get that if you win Powerball tomorrow night. Mm. These are workers that are doing their best. They move ferries. They, they move um, de- move the passengers across, the vehicles across. They move emergency services. These roads can be back up when there's failures on the M1 too. Don't forget. They deserve just a little bit more. And 60 grand's not enough in Sydney. No, it's not. And burdens... Uh, the operator, you're saying that not only have they, you're not squabbling about money because they've just offered what no increases at all. There's 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 no uh, offer whatsoever from the operator about 
any improvement to those salaries? There's nothing. There's zero dollars being put on the table. Last Friday, they recommitted that offer of nothing. I mean, the good news is they've backdated their offer of nothing, but it's still nothing. There's no increases. And let's talk about burdens. I mean, you, your radio station and the Sydney media has reported on burdens repeatedly in the last few years. These are the geniuses that built those 13 ferries overseas. Remember the ones that couldn't fit under bridges mm. and the engines failed? Mm. And the millions upon millions of the New South Wales taxpayers had to pay to fix these ferries. This is the same company. They've got in the wire-drawn ferries, signed a contract that no-one knows how they've signed it, and they've decided they'll make profit, but the workers won't get a wage increase. We don't want to see industrial action. The workers just want to get on with the job, but they're entitled to a couple of dollars more. Look, you and I have had some sparring matches over the years, Paul Garrett. Um, I've had some sparring matches with the MUA, but really, I, I can't, I, I can't argue with your your point of view. And and to be honest, an hour stoppage, if they're offering nothing, and you're talking about a thirty dollar an hour uh, wage that your guys are earning, well, I can't blame you for going out. Good on you. No, good on you. Appreciate it, mate. You know, your listeners can get the message out as well. They deserve a bit more. It's a fair time to give a wage increase. It's time for Transport for New South Wales to get to the table and look after these workers. Righto, Paul. I appreciate your time. That's Paul Garrett from the MUA. He's the Sydney Branch Deputy Secretary. So just repeating that news, though, if you use the Mortlake Ferry, the Barara Waters Ferry, the Webbs Creek Ferry and the Sackville Ferry, from 8am to 9am tomorrow morning, there will be not running because of industrial action. So plan your trips accordingly, but all of those ferries that are you can drive your cars on and get across the rivers, they will not be running between 8am and 9am tomorrow. Live, local and only on 2GB, it's Drive with Chris O'Keefe. It's 13 and a half past five. I thought I'd check in with Josh Murray, of course, the Secretary at Transport for New South Wales, in regards to... The asbestos or traces of asbestos being found in mulch at a whole bunch more sites all around Sydney. And I know that Josh Murray spoke to Ben Fordham this morning, but there's been an update because the EPA, the Environment Protection Authority, is progressing its investigation and they've given a little bit more information to Transport for New South Wales on how the hell this has happened. Josh Murray, g'day. Hello, Chris. So what is the update on this? So the update provided by the EPA this afternoon is is very clearly they're still pursuing a number of lines of inquiry to get to the source of the contamination that has been seen to date on these transport projects and two additional projects added to the Roselle issue today. Um, And what they have also done is they've taken the information that's been provided over the last two weeks and they've actually issued an order today against Green Life Resources, which is one of the providers that's been named in this work uh, as one of the mulch providers. So they've issued uh, an order there. That prevents Green Life from selling any more of this product until the investigation is closed out. EPA very uh, conscious of saying it is just one line of inquiry, but their evidence gathering to date enables them to take this action as they continue to look into the source. Green life, did you say? That's correct. Okay, so these are the guys that produced the mulch and then presumably on-soldered or were contracted to do the work to drop it at both the Roselle Parklands and Dulwich Hill, uh, Canterbury, Campsy, Metro Station, as well as Prospect and Blacktown. Is that right? Yeah, my understanding is they are a a major provider of uh, recycled materials. Uh, In this case... 
the way it works with transport is we obviously have tier one providers who are delivering the infrastructure. They will then get a landscaping provider mm. and that landscaping provider will buy mulch in commercial quantities. How does asbestos get into that stuff? Well, that's the key to the investigation. Um, certainly what we've found is all of the examples of bonded asbestos that we've come across in this very forensic testing that we've done through transport on these projects um, has been in garden beds with recycled mulch. Uh, and that's the information we've given to the EPA. Um, at this stage, we don't know how that, uh, that infection of the materials has occurred. The EPA will look and do a number of tests of batches and of production equipment, et cetera, to try and get more understanding of that. They'll also test, and they were very clear about this today, they will also continue to look at latent ground conditions. But we've obviously now got these uh, materials being found not just at Roselle in new mulch that was conducted last year, but also on that Sydney Metro corridor where there was some small substation work and also on the Prospect Highway where we uh, have done some highway upgrade work and new landscaping was done as part of that process. Is Greenlife a Sydney company? Uh, yes, my understanding is they're a Western Sydney-based company um, and they have been a, a provider in this field. I don't know any more details uh, of them, but the EPA has given um, has notified them today that they are subject of this order, so they are fully aware of that. And what does the order entail? It uh, simply ensures that they can't provide this product while the investigation is continuing um, and it just puts that barrier over the top of that, that provision in case there is found to be further contamination. So it enables that investigation to go on without any further supply. And presumably, if they are the source, they've been providing recycled mulch potentially with asbestos in it, not just to transport for New South Wales projects, but projects across the board, private and otherwise. The EPA has given the, um, the assurance that that's part of their investigation, that they would look at um, the supply chain. But they also made the point today, the acting CEO, Nancy Chang, made the point that the mulch business is actually very diversified. And so you have a lot of material changing hands through both the okay. landscaping and gardening supply chain, but then into construction. So it's very difficult to trace individual elements. So it's made its way in at some point during the production of the mulch somehow, and then that mulch has just been in good faith dumped at the Roselle Parklands and dumped at Canterbury and Campsie metro stations at the substations and dumped at landscaping work along the Prospect Highway. And next thing you know, uh-oh. That's right, and we do have controls in place. Mulch is a regulated product in New South Wales. It does have to be signed off at each of those processes. So that's being looked at. Um, we have the paperwork uh, that has made its way through those transport projects and we've handed that over to the EPA. But, but, but there's, the not, testing... there's, not, there's not people going through the mulch at every point, is there? There's not someone standing yeah. there going looking for asbestos before it's put next to the children's playground at Roselle. Well, there is sign-off processes. So the mulch, when it leaves the production facility... It does have to be signed off when it is accepted as one of the construction materials on a big site like Roselle Parklands. It has to be signed off again by an EPA-accredited auditor as part of the general cleanliness and acceptance of the site. So there are those processes. Where the testing has come up with the asbestos is when we've used particular expertise in our hygienists to go through the mulch, really with a fine-tooth comb, and pull out individual 
suspect pieces that they've then sent off for testing. And that's why we've ended up with about 120 samples and 17 of those at Roselle turned out to be positive. I do have a bit of sympathy for you guys because can you, imagine, you, you would never get a project done if you were going through every single tiny bit of mulch looking for bonded asbestos. Well, we're, we're literally dealing with tonnes and tonnes of asbestos, uh, of, excuse me, of landscaping sure. materials, but in particular the mulch. Uh, and I think it is responsible, and it's been certainly a view, not just in transport but across infrastructure, that where you can use recycled materials, that's something you should aim to do. Um, we use organic fresh mulch for particular projects like softball and children's playgrounds. But for areas that often don't see the public eye, Roselle's a bit different, but for railway corridor, for example, we have tried to use recycled materials because uh, it is better for not producing lots of new content. All right, Josh, I really appreciate you jumping on. Have a good day. Thank you, Chris. That's Josh Murray, the Secretary of Transport for New South Wales. So just updating you on that. Green Life has been given an order, a prevention order, uh, that is the supplier of the mulch to the Roselle Parklands, as well as those uh, metro stops, Dulwich Hill, Canterbury, Campsie, and along the Prospect Highway. So Green Life is the company that's been given uh, a prevention notice by the Environment Protection Authority uh, as they continue their investigations as to how asbestos ended up in all of this mulch. 21 past five. It's 24 past five. This Australian Open update, thanks to Booper. Prepare for life with Booper. Search Booper Health Insurance and switch today. Uh, we've got a five-set thriller at the Australian Open. Medvedev and her catch, they're locked in this five-set thriller. It's on Rod Laver Arena as we speak. Now, Medvedev won the first and the third. Her catch won the second and the fourth. Now, it's on serve, fifth set. Her catch versus Medvedev. Gee whiz, it's going to be a tough old battle between both of them. One three one eight seven three. Josh Murray just sent me another note here just in regards to the light rail being out, the power supply issue between Circular Quay and Town Hall. And I just mentioned offhand, I said, gee, this is happening a bit, isn't it? A power supply issue, especially just on that stretch of George Street. Well, Josh said that they've got someone from Transdev sending out the engineers from France to look at the power issue because there's been three instances in three months on that particular section of the track, so they're getting on top of that one. And for the Big Bash, if you're going into the Big Bash uh, at the SCG tonight, there are 16 trams running between Town Hall and South Juniors, which is normal capacity for the cricket crowd. It's always an easy way. Get the train into Central Station, get on the tram, take you straight to the SCG. 131873. Now, I've just got some interesting information from the Bureau of Meteorology. This cyclone that they're expecting to hit Queensland, well, it, it will form tonight, and they're calling it Cyclone Kiralee. So the Bureau of Meteorology has warned that the system was developing slowly in the Central Coral Sea, and it will form into Cyclone Kiralee tonight and make landfall between Cardwell and Airlie Beach in far north Queensland late tomorrow, expecting it to be a Category 2 cyclone. So the warning zone stretches, if you've got friends and family or you're heading to north Queensland, from Air to Serena, and it includes Mackay, Bowen, as well as the Whitsunday Islands. 
and there is a watch zone too placed from Innisfail to Air, including Townsville and as far inland as Charters Towers. Geez, they cop it the North Queenslanders, don't they, when it comes to tropical cyclones? One three one eight seven three. Now I know we've been talking a lot about Anthony Albanese's decision to overhaul, restructure, and break his promise on the stage three tax cuts. And he does need to get it through the Senate, his plan, which he will announce tomorrow properly, but we basically know what's happened. We broke the story here, of course, on Monday on this program that the whole thing was to be ripped up and started again. Now, the Senate is an interesting proposition for the federal government because Labor, if they want to get it through the Senate, the coalition's already said forget it. So the Libs and the Nats have said forget it. We're not joining you at all. We're not helping. So the Labor Party will need the Greens plus two, and they will get Jackie Lambie and David Pocock. So it's whether or not the Greens want to water down the top end of the rejigged stage three tax cuts, meaning people on higher incomes get even less of a tax cut. So if the Greens want to push that, that'll be interesting to see whether or not Anthony Albanese and Labor do a deal with the Greens, and it's even worse for people who earn more than $180,000. But there is one person who is absolutely dead against this broken promise, and it's Pauline Hanson from One Nation. I'm furious about this, Steve, absolutely furious, and Sally McManus saying ordinary Australians. You know, I'm an ordinary Australian as well, and I've worked hard through my whole life in trying to better myself in saving, going without, and, you know, I was wanting my tax cuts. I rather put the money in my pocket, like many other Australians, I know best how to spend my money, instead of giving to a government who squanders the money all the time and does not spend it wisely. It's interesting what Pauline Hanson said. That was on uh, Sky News, mind you, Pauline Hanson there. But it's interesting what she said, and she's talking about Sally McManus saying, well, it's just about ordinary, hard-working Australians. Well, and this is what I was getting at throughout the show. What is the definition of an ordinary, hard-working Australian? What is the definition of middle Australia? Because there are many people who are on $180,000 and more who are not wealthy and would class themselves as ordinary middle-class Australians. Once again, Pauline Hanson, she gets it. Let's check the news headlines with Rhiannon Solomon-Marin. G'day. G'day, Chris. A person's been killed after the plane they were in crashed in a paddock at Brownlow Hill after taking off from Camden Airport. The Prime Minister says Middle Australia will receive the greatest benefit from planned tax reforms. Labor MPs have met this afternoon to discuss the changes to the Stage 3 tax cuts. A car's been destroyed by fire in an underground car park in Manly. Two other cars and part of the property were also damaged. And the consumer watchdog is issuing a warning to Taylor Swift fans with more than $135,000 already lost to scammers offering fake tickets to her Australian shows. In sport, a sold-out crowd of around 40,000 will fill the SCG tonight for the Big Bash final between the Sydney Sixers and the Brisbane Heat. The Sixers are chasing their fourth BBL title. And Chris, there'll be more news at six. Thanks, Ray. A weather update. We'll be here to help in unexpected weather. NRMA Insurance. It's warm today, but got pretty overcast pretty quickly, didn't it? Right now, 26 degrees in the city and 29 in our west. Temperatures tonight, 23 in the city and 24 in the west. Tomorrow is going to be the hot one. 35 in the city tomorrow and 37 in our west. 131873.
A finance update. The all-electric Kia EV9, Kia's largest electric seven-seat SUV. Find out more at kia.com.au. Kia, major partner of the Australian Open. Deb Knight's back with Money News tonight at 7 o'clock. Deb, how have the markets fared today? A bit of a bitsy day, really, Chris. Neither here nor there, really, for the share market. There was a record-breaking night on Wall Street, but we didn't really follow the lead. The ASX 200 ended higher, only just up by 0.1% to 7,519. The miners were the best performers. BHP, Fortescue and Rio Tinto all higher by about a percent or more. Kogan, the online retailer Kogan, had a really big jump, up almost 15%. They had a rise in ad Revenue and they've had a pretty dismal performance up until now. So some good news for Kogan. A horror day though for the medical tech company Nanosonics, and they make these this high end gear to stop infections. But they had their worst day ever on the share market, down 33%. They missed a sales guidance deadline, and I tell you what, that's a mistake no company wants to make. So that was Third dreadful for them, terrible. And the dollar down slightly, just updating it right now. Yeah, 65 US cents against the greenback. What are the, what, what are the markets and what What's finance and business's reaction been to the backflip on stage three? Well, the fallout politically, we know, Mm. is one thing. And the Prime Minister repeatedly swore black and blue, continuing up until recent weeks that there'd be no changes made to the tax cuts, even though it was sort of, you know, dodging and weaving. But from a financial point of view, of course, it's not good news for the high-end earners, for those on salaries of $200,000 plus, who were expecting about... $9,000, $9,075 to be exact, in their pockets. Under the changes that have been announced, that's actually going to be more than halved. So more of the money flowing to the lower income earners. The debate, though, also from a financial point of view, is about inflation. Mm. Because regardless of the benefits to, to voters and the benefits to income earners, more money in the pockets of Australians will mean potentially more money to spend because of the tax cuts, and that could spell disaster for what the Reserve Bank's been trying to achieve to cut inflation by hiking interest rates. So there's a lot of, I mean, it's messy. There's so many elements to this, but from a financial point of view, certainty is so key. And this is going to be the hard sell for the Prime Minister, for Anthony Albanese, and for the Treasurer, because they said they wouldn't change it. They have broken promises is going to be something that will follow them around and it'll be very easy to attack by the opposition, which we've seen them doing today. And especially if you're if you're a business owner and you're the business community and if you've got a big workforce, you want to entice that workforce to work harder so you pay them a bigger salary. But if they look at that and go, well, why would I want to bother getting a bigger salary if I've just got to pay more tax? Yeah, and, and from you know an investment point of view... Do you put the money in property? And there's, there's. I'll also be talk, looking at property on the show mm. on Money News tonight because the house price reports come down from Domain. I'll speak to doc, Dr. Nicola Powell, and the property market has just gone gangbusters, defied all expectations, despite the interest rate rises, mm. and it's going to keep going up for the bulk of this year too. I just, how many times have we heard? And I keep saying on this program, if I had a dollar for everyone who was spelling the end of the Sydney property or Sydney real estate bubble, I'd be own many houses. Yeah, don't you? don't you love the way we're just so obsessed just by the, property? But the, well, most people's only asset. It is. And the, but the catastrophizing around it, how many times do we have to see, it doesn't matter what shock the Sydney property market gets, it goes up and it up and up growing. and up. Yeah, and but, it will be doing for the course of this year too. Good on you, Deb. Thanks, we'll listen Chris. to that all at 7 o'clock with Money News and Deb Knight, 131873. Hey, the Oscar nominations have been released today. We're going to go through them with our movie analyst, Shane A. Bassett, after this. It's 18 minutes to 6, 131873. Well, what was your favourite film of 2023? I know there was a bit of debate between Oppenheimer and Barbie and all the rest of it. Now, 
I didn't like Oppenheimer. I didn't think it was very good. Is that controversial to say? Because I genuinely thought it was boring, Oppenheimer. To the point where I started to doze off. Look, the critics loved it and it looked nice and all the rest of it. I just didn't think it was that good. Anyway, do you disagree with me? One three one eight seven three because the nominees for the 2024 Oscars have been released and anyone who knows anything about cinema or theatre absolutely disagrees with me. And the great Shane A. Bassett has all the details for us. Shane, g'day. Yeah, g'day, Chris. Uh, yeah, I, I can see what you're saying about Oppenheimer. It's a slow-moving, articulate movie. But when it comes to the acting and the cinematography and the music and everything that comes with it, I, I thought it was flawless. Slow? It's slow. Purposely <laughs> slow. And what one disappointing thing about it that uh, is people will just know as soon as you watch it is that you're waiting for that mushroom cloud. You're waiting for that atomic detonation and you only really see it in clips mm. it builds up and builds up but then it sort of deflates and you don't get what you are expecting to get in a three-hour movie no look it was okay i've just seen better movies <laughs> it's more than okay i mean killian murphy <laughs> the, the guy who played oppenheimer is on the top of his game he's fantastic and the director christopher nolan he, he there was no frame that was misplaced so as a as a movie Analyst, I, I could not, it was flawless. I could not see anything wrong with it. But yes, I do agree that it was quite slow. On the flip side, I thoroughly enjoyed Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, a lot of people did. It was a very huge movie globally. And I, I, I know why people are a little disappointed why Margot Robbie was not nominated for the Best Actress uh, Award, you know, in that category. But honestly, the five that were nominated, they were better than her, I've I, I got, to, got to say. And Barbie, I'm on the fence with it. I mean, I'll probably never watch it again. I enjoyed it while it was on. And it, it's the production design and the songs. And, and there's so much about it I did like, but it's, does, it was, it's not going to win any Oscars if you really get serious about it. It'll win for a song. Now, it's nominated for two songs out of the five possibles. So it's got two chances out of five, and it'll win one of those. But nothing else. It, it won't win anything else, sadly. I... um. I know it was all about, you know, flipping the patriarchy on its head, Barbie, but yes. unfortunately for Barbie, I thought the the actor that absolutely smashed it in that film was Ryan Gosling, ironically. Yeah. Yeah, well, he, he did. I totally agree. Uh, he did smash it. And in every possible way, you were along the ride with him during that movie. And I think the fact that he's been nominated um, in um, the Best Supporting Actor category... It's a shame in one way because the lock in that category is Robert Downey Jr. for Oppenheimer. No one has beaten him yet. He's been nominated and won for already a few awards and everything he's nominated for coming up, leading up to the Oscars, he's just going to win. But uh, Ryan Gosling is pretty good in Barbie. I, I concede to that. Everyone was. I think the acting was great. Margot was terrific, don't get me wrong. But overall, uh, it's not an Oscar-worthy movie. There was much bigger and better ones out there last year. Okay, so leading actress who that's, you know, beat out Margot. Nyad, Killers of the Flower Moon, Anatomy of a Fall, Maestro, uh, Maestro and Poor Things. Yes. Okay. Well, Poor Things, for me, Emma Stone will probably win this category. Um, strong competition from Lily Gladstone, the lead actress from Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, that has 10 nominations that directed by Martin Scorsese. And 
Yeah, it's a tough category. I mean, and you'll say NIAD. Well, NIAD, uh, Annette Benning, she's nominated in best, for Best Actress there, and Jodie Foster, her co-star in that movie, which is a true story, great movie, by the way, if you get a chance to watch it, Jodie Foster is nominated in Supporting Actress. So although it's a little arty film that not a lot of people have heard of, uh, it is deserves those two nominations. So who's hosting the ceremony this year? Jimmy Kimmel. Now, oh, he's done do it before. Good. He'll do a good job. And, yeah, oh, totally, totally. Oh, it's tough. I mean, that debacle that happened in the Golden Globes, I never, I could not believe what I was watching. It tanked from the first three minutes and it just got worse and worse. That won't happen ever again. And Jimmy Kimmel, he knows how to uh, convey proper jokes. He can engage the audience. He can engage the audience who are watching on television and then the celebrity crowd in front of him. So, now he'll do a fantastic job. Uh, it's on Monday, March the 11th, our time. Uh, the ceremony kicks off about 11 a.m. and the red carpet will be a couple of hours before that. About 47 days away. Mm. I can't wait. I'm counting it down. So, very briefly, I just want your best, all right? So, just tell me. Best picture, who wins? Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. Yeah. Director? Close one between Martin Scorsese and Christopher Nolan, but I'm going to say Christopher Nolan it's for two Oppenheimer. For, it's two for Oppenheimer. Best actor? <laughs> Paul Giamatti will come close for a movie called The Holdovers, but it, again, it'll be Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer. I don't see it. Leading actress? Emma Stone, Poor Things. Supporting actor? Robert Downey Jr., can't lose. Get, get on him now. Oppenheimer. Supporting actress? Yeah, uh, a tough one. Um, don't say Emily Blunt, Oppenheimer. No, no, I'm not sure about this one. I'm not going to be put on the record this far out for uh, this one. I'd love Jodie Foster to win, but I think it'll be Divine Joy Randolph. Uh, again, for that movie, The Holdovers. It's currently screening in cinemas. If you get a chance, trust me, it's a feel-good, great film. Good on you, Shane. I really appreciate your time. Good luck with it all. Thanks very much, Chris. Talk again soon. That's Shane A. Bassett. He's a movie and entertainment reporter. You can check him out on Twitter, at Movie Analyst. 131873. George has called in from Mulgoa. George, do you agree with me on Oppenheimer? I agree with you wholeheartedly. But you know what I feel like? Oh, we've lost fashion, Here we go. Fashion show catwalkers who, who, uh, who actually walk along the catwalk and they go, oh, that's amazing, that's beautiful clothes or fashion wear and the rest of us look and go, huh? We would never wear something like that. Yeah, well, that's what I, I feel. I feel like there was this movie. I got to the end of it and I thought, what's all the fuss about? Like, it was okay, but I wasn't falling over myself saying, oh, this is unbelievable. Like, it wasn't, you know, top-notch by any stretch of the imagination. It was just so slow. I wouldn't pay to watch it, put it that way. Yeah, I paid. Good on you, George. I appreciate your call. Thank you for backing me up. 131873, there's another... Michael says, Chris, you like Barbie but not Oppenheimer? Are you feminine? No, well, I just like what I like. Rod says, I agree, Chris. It was a strange film. Anthony, Chris, I'm with you. I couldn't get through Oppenheimer. And another here, Chris, I thought the same thing about Barbie. Boring movie, 131873. The good thing about movies, good thing about the Oscars, it's always a good chance to have a bit of a debate. Righto, do you want to win $200 of free petrol or thanks to Shell V-Power fueling your drive home? Give me a call, 131873. 131873, we'll play the Jewel for Fuel next. On 2GB Drive, let's Jewel for Fuel. All thanks to Shell V-Power, we do it. 200 bucks of free fuel up for grabs. Our contestants this afternoon, Steve at Glenbrook. Steve, g'day. 
Good, thank you, Steve. Michelle's at Smithfield. Michelle, good day. Good day, Chris. Right up, Michelle and Steve. Your names are your buzzers. Question number one: What country is the Hague in? Steve. Steve. Switzerland. Not far, Michelle. Oh, God. Um... I don't know. No. The Netherlands. Question number two. Can hippos swim? Steve. Steve. Yes. Yes, they can. Question number three. Are there more or less than... 1,500 minutes in a 24-hour day. Michelle. Michelle. No. Are there more or less? There is less. There are less. Well done. 1,440 minutes in a 24-hour day. Question number four. Who painted the Mona Lisa? Oh. Uh, Steve. Steve? Uh, Michelangelo. The other one. Michelle? Uh, um, I can't think. Um, Leonardo da Vinci, righto. This is the last one. Yeah. It's one all. So this is for the 200 bucks, all right? Question number five. What is the capital of beautiful Sweden? Canada. Oh, Michelle. Michelle? Canada? Canada's not the capital of Sweden. I'm sorry, Michelle. Steve's at Glenbrook. Come on. Uh, Capital of Sweden. Go again. Stockholm. It is Stockholm. 200 bucks coming your way, Steve. Well done. That's the jewel for fuel this Wednesday afternoon. And for better or worse, we play it every afternoon here on Drive. And now, a preview of what's coming up on Wide World of Sports. Uh, We just do our best here, Mark Levy, in the jewel for fuel. Poor old Michelle's out of shock. Huh? <laughs> it's hard under pressure, though. You oh, got to. No. It is hard under pressure. But Canada, I mean, she's had a Barry Crocker there. <laughs> What's doing? <laughs> oh, mate, you know, it's it's funny. I've been listening to you talking about, um, you know, the, the state of federal politics now, Bo, and all that sort of thing. And I was down the the local coffee shop today, and that's a good level of, of what people are saying out on the street. So to our open line here at Two GB. I was reminded by a bloke, he's, he, you know, the knockabout Aussie dinky die Australian bloke goes, he goes, Levy, why don't you tell that Chris O'Keefe this afternoon? I said, oh, what's that, mate? He goes, he goes, well, if this doesn't work for Albo, we can always go back to DJ. I reckon I've got his first song that he can play too, Levy. It what do you got? What do you reckon? I can see you up the cross on Saturday night answering this. <laughs> Glow sticks Go on, on the floor. Mark Picky Riddell on the podium. She's had to bring back the days when the glory days of the dragons, wouldn't it, Chris? I could listen to that all day. The remix of There's a Hole in Your Bucket. What's on the show? Uh, what is on the show tonight? Well, Daniil Medvedev has just won through to the semi-finals of the Australian Open, so we'll have a chat about all of that with John Millman. A really strange one involving Nick Kyrgios. So he writes a column today virtually saying that I'm done, I'm retiring, uh, I won't be playing the Olympics. But then he's posted on social media today. He's done a complete backflip saying, oh, no, I've still got plenty to offer. So we'll have a look at that. Um, a bit of drama in rugby league, which we can touch on. And uh, Craig Foster to wrap up the Socceroos performance last oh, night. Mark Levy, I'm just not a Curios fan. 
I just, you know I just can't do it. Just play tennis, mate, honestly. I've had my running battles with him as well. He's got all the talent in the world. I just wish he'd use it for the just good. Play, just play some tennis. Good on you, Levy. We'll be listening. That is Wildwater Sports with Mark Levy after us. Now, drive at 2GB.com if you've got anything you'd like us to investigate. It doesn't have to be anything special. Just something you might think it's off a little. And we can have a look into it. I'll see you tomorrow at 3 o'clock. Bye-bye.